moving on to the second topic i would like to request mr himanshu to take up the topic of distressed valuations and enlighten the kids perfect so let's start with valuation of distressed businesses you look at different multiples you look at a company which is a going concern which a going concern basically means that for the foreseeable future the company expects to continue operations but what really happens when you do not expect a company to continue operations for the foreseeable future okay so before even we start let's say if you look at a company can you by reading the financial statements come to know if a company is moving towards distress to a, to a large extent you can so and for that you do not need to do much all you need to do is just read the financial statements and look at some early warning signs what are the market uh, what are the signs of course the first is an industry based sign where you said the markets look depressed like was the was the scenario around 2007 8 when the entire world was going through a big depression so or a recession that is when we could see that a lot of companies were about to face distress but that was more about the entire industry but however within of a specific company if you see that the sales have been declining for a couple of years or for a you know for a few quarters however and and they have been unanticipated losses like losses which should not have been there which are very unexpected if you see the margins have been shrinking especially when the sales have increased but the margins keep declining that actually is a very very big sign that the company is not doing well and something's wrong of of course if a company is showing operating losses for a long period of time that means the company is not able to turn its business profitable and might soon run into problems similarly the cash availability cash if you look at you know, working capital ratio or let's say the cash ratio or the quick ratios these can help us understand if the cash has been out of the company if the if the company is not able to keep enough cash similarly the co covenant coverage now so what is covenants are basically terms and conditions that the lenders will put on you when you take loans from them the covenant would be let's say you have to maintain an interest coverage ratio of 1.5 at all point in time if you look at it and see the company has not been able to meet its covenants that means the company is moving towards some kind of a distress if the accounts receivable are very old if you look at the days of receivables outstanding and they let's say are much larger than what the industry normally has that means the company is not able to collect cash from its customers very efficiently and that can be a, another very big sign that the company is not doing well and is heading towards distress similarly the accounts payable are aging you're not paying your suppliers on time you you have a deteriorating backlog you do not have enough uh, orders in your you no know, in your books and you do not have enough customers taking material from you you have collateral audit issues the auditors are not able to give a very or unqualified opinion or they are not able to basically uh, affirm that you have enough collateral in your uh, in your company similarly you you're showing profits but your cash flows don't show profits at all and that is uh, as and saptashi was also mentioning that cash is actually a very important part people look at pnl but cash can actually tell you much more than a pnl statement does so if you have profits but if you look at the cash and you see there is no cash in the company big 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 sign and similarly excessive inventories what it says is that you're not able to convert your inventories and sell it to the customers you do not have enough orders so these are early warning signs of distress in a company all right so whenever you see this or whenever the management would see these signs they would normally want to restructure the company 
and these are attempts to save the company let's say from going into the bankruptcy or insolvency or sometimes it becomes too late that you realize and you're almost there and some and anyone else can actually lead you to you know take you to court and file a suit against you of bankruptcy and that's called initiating the bankruptcy or the insolvency proceedings against a company but the best would be if if the management themselves realize that the company is moving towards distress and they need to restructure the restructuring can be twofold you can either restructure your assets or you can either restructuring restructure your balance sheet which is basically financial restructuring now, what's the difference between the two and what does it entail let's have a look so asset restructuring what you can do is you know one of some of the assets are not performing very well let's say a company has 10 different plants at major locations and one of the plants is let's say not working very well you can sell some of some a couple of the plants which will help you get the necessary cash so that you can continue fulfilling your current liabilities and start and continue paying your debt so that can help you restructure the entire company and that is under the asset restructuring similarly you can you can sell yourself to the firm you can merge with a larger firm which will provide you the required capital to continue the operations properly similarly you can also reduce the spending one of the spending would be you can reduce capital spending you can reduce r d spending of course these are extreme measures r d spending reducing means you're reducing innovation but these might be required at tough times but overall you can also reduce your costs try and make your company lean these are called asset restructurings on financial restructurings if you want to raise capital you can issue more debt you can issue more equity but you can only do it when the company is at the very start of the distress if you're already distressed and the, and the world comes to know about it no one will buy your securities no one will buy your debt and that will make sure that your the, secure, the value of the securities go low and so you have to dilute a large percentage of your holding to other people other is you can negotiate with your banks and creditors to extend the lease or let's say extend the lines of credit or to extend the maturity of the debt that you have suppose you had a debt which had to be repaid in the next two years you restructure the debt by saying that you're not in a position to pay in the next two years and you want to pay over the next 10 years so that means yearly liabilities will decline so that is that will give you a breathing space to recover from the distress by having low liabilities you can convert debt into equity let's say debtors have a debt which is coming due next year but you're not in a position to pay and if the banks or the debtors agree you can give them a part of the equity so your liabilities will go away from the balance sheet similarly usually senior debt is replaced with junior debt basically you get you refinance the debt refinance the debt and that too by decreasing the seniority okay so you can do restructurings for asset or balance sheets so now before we dive into this let's understand suppose you tried restructuring you you saw some early signs of restructuring or distress you tried restructuring didn't work out what do you do so when if they're not working out then you will start facing liquidity crunch you will not be able to pay your creditors on time and once you have not paid your creditors on time that means that you have defaulted even if you're not able to pay your interest or the interest is even one day late that means you have defaulted on your payments right so when companies take loans and the loans could be to build a new plan to finance their working capital you need to repay interest and principal the lenders would send you a recovery notice basically you need to pay up and if you don't pay in a given time then they can take you to the court by initiating bankruptcy or insolvency proceedings against you this is very similar around the world the only difference is 
in different countries, you have different models wherein either it can be debtor in possession or creditor in possession. Now, what does that mean? Now, suppose insolvency proceedings have started against a company. In a debtor in position, the owners of the company continue to manage the operations of the company and they try to restructure the company in a way that they can then repay the liabilities that they have or repay the debt or the uh, whatever due they have to different creditors, which can be secured debtors, unsecured debtors. It can be to the uh, trade payables that they have. They can be to equity or subordinated debt. In creditors in control, and this is a model that is currently being followed in India, also in the UK, and US has debtor in possession, but in UK and India, you have a creditor in possession model where the lenders come in and take over the company. They appoint a special person, which is called insolvency professional, uh, and they that that person will take over the company and then run the operations of the company. So the, basically the management of the company is ousted. On, when, on the day, the court says, okay, the insolvency proceedings have begun against this company. The management is no longer long, no longer at the helm of the affairs. It's the insolvency professionals that come in and take over the company and run the operations. And at the same time, they try and settle the debts or settle all the dues by either selling the company, by getting in external capital, or getting in a new investor on board. So they can be multiple, they can be multiple things they can do, but the management just goes out of the picture. They don't have any more role to play. And that is called creditor in position. The creditor possesses the company. And this, these are very contrasting models and can result in very different outcomes. Which one is better? Mm, USA and UK both have been very developed markets and both have seen high recovery of the debts in case of distressed businesses. So both are effective. It all depends upon how good or how timely all the things are done. All the law defines a timeline for each of the steps to be done in debtor in position and credit in position. If you stick to the timeline, both can really lead to very effective results. Now, suppose a company has gone into insolvency. What happens after that? You have a company the value of that company is now definitely less than what it, it would have been if it were a going concern. So now it's an insolvency because it, it does not have enough resources to meet all its liabilities. And that is why it is an insolvency. So some of the parties or creditors will not get their 100% due back. Let's say a bank has given loan to a company. The loan was, let's say, 1,000 crores and overall total loans. But the company is now not worth 1000 crores or is not in a position to generate 1000 crores and that is why the banks will not get their entire money back and that is why the company is in the distressed or insolvency space so let's say the company is only valued at 700 crores not 1000 crores so 300 crores are going to be lost somewhere so who gets the money who loses how much everyone loses is now defined by the absolute priority rule who do you think gets paid first? Yes, senior debt, secured debt, exactly. So first you will have secured creditors who will be paid first. So first of the first, you will have the secured claimants who would be paid. Now, when we say secured claimants, we normally mean secured creditors. Secured creditors who have a charge on the assets, who have their loans which are secured by some collateral, some property that you have, or some receivables, or some assets of the company are pledged to them and the loan that they have or the money that they have given you is secured. Second is administrative claims. Now, administrative claims are something 
or is basically the cost which is associated with running the entire insolvency and the bankruptcy process. There'll be lawyers who will come and help represent the case of the company into the court. There'll be court fees, there'll be fees of these lawyers, there'll be fees of filing the documents in the court. There will be a fees of running the entire process of selling the company, contacting investors to invest in the company. And those are administrative claims. Now, in India, administrative claims actually have priority over secured claimants as well. So they are paid first and then secured claimants are. Then you have employees claims. If you have not paid the wages and the salaries of your employees, they get paid after this. Then you have the claims of the customers. Let's say, you know, you had warranty claims. A customer had some, you had given some claim or some goods to the customers who had returned, but you had not paid them back. So those kind of warranty claims are paid back. Then you have tax claims. You know, you are, every company who's making a profit needs to pay taxes. Suppose if the company has not paid its taxes and some dues are outstanding, then the taxes will be paid. And then after that, you will have unsecured creditors, trade claims, and you know, the junior debtors, and then preference shareholders. And at the end, which is the lowest is the common or the uh, equity holders. So this is the absolute priority rule. If you have a pie of 700 crores out of which 1000 was debt, that only 700 will go entirely to the, you know, debt, uh, the creditors, the banks, nothing will come to equity holders, nothing will go to uh, no tax, nothing will go to customer claims, nothing will go to basically uh, your other unsecured creditors. However, let's say if it was not 700, but the company was valued at 1200, while banks only had a loan of 1000, 1000 would be paid to banks and then 1200 would then go into a bucket. So determining the claim status and what are the scenarios that we have. So the general rule is that all claims are equal unless and until one of them is secured. If one of them is secured, it becomes higher than the other. The other is if there is a statutory priority associated one one claim, like the administrative claims, you are trying to protect the uh, claims of the people who are helping with the courts, who are helping with the process so that they get statutory priority. So if there is a priority associated with any claim that again gets goes up. If there's a legal subordination, legal subordination means equity is subordinated to debt. So equity will always be paid after debt. And then if there's a structure subordination, that means Within debtors, you can have senior secured, then you can have junior secured, and then you can have unsecured. So these are structural subordination. So what we see is three scenarios where we can, of course, secure debt will always stay at the top because it is secured. But after that, there will be a structural subordination. You could have senior unsecured, junior unsecured, trade, trade claims, subordinated debt and equity. Equity will always stay and subordinated debt will always be towards the lower end. But Let's say in different cases, what we're trying to present here is if there is not a statutory priority or not a legal subordination, then certain claims can rank pari pasu. Now, what is pari pasu? Pari pasu means that they are ranked at the same level. So that needs to be understood by reading the terms and condition of all these money that you have taken from your creditors. So whenever you take money from a lender or from someone else, there is a contract that you sign with them and terms of the contract become very important in case of a distressed business which company or which creditor will get the money first, which has a subordinate, which is subordinated to the other are all written in those documents. So everything that you write in text becomes very important in a distressed case scenario. So why is valuation important in bankruptcy and how do different stakeholders view valuation? So whenever you're doing a valuation or whenever you're doing a valuation of a distressed company, as I said, someone has taken you to court. And once you're, once you're in the process, anyone any any creditor 
can actually propose a plan value for the company. So anyone can say and, you know, uh, come to the court and say that we have valued the business and we propose that the company is valued at 1000 1, crores. So they can present a plan valuation and then the plan valuation then gets divided as per the absolute priority rule. So any stakeholder can propose a reorganization plan and these plan values can, you know, can be very different. As you, we were hearing Saptashree say that valuation is a science is a science plus art. In this case, I think it is more of an art than science because you're just trying to find the value of a business which is in disarray. There is hardly any science or let's say less science and more art to understand how much value you can get out of this company. And based upon this value, this the value will be then divided across the different participants that we have. And the last part is very important here. The J factor. What is J factor? J factor is for judge because all of this will be settled in court. The judge presiding over it matters. How, what is the thinking of the judge? How the judge, you know, thinks about this company, whether he thinks it's right, it's wrong. So a lot of the, what we have seen, India is still a new market when it comes to distressed valuations and distressed business. But in the US and UK, what we have seen is judges can actually completely give a different ruling than what we had anticipated before the ruling came out. So judges also play a very important part, how they view it. We can do all our homeworks and we can present a very soundproof plan, but you know, if judges don't like it, the ruling will be completely different. Let's take an example. So we assume that a PIDA of a company which is in distress is around 250 you know, million dollars. The bank facility that the company needs to continue operations after getting into insolvency is 150 and that is called post petition working capital need. So once a company has gone into insolvency in order to keep running the business, the company has taken a facility of hundred million dollars, $150 million from a bank. There were other creditors of the company. One was let's say a senior note claim, let's say a senior debtor. It could have been an unsecured bonds. Then you could have a subordinated bonds and both of them had the claims of 850 and 250 respectively. But let's say the market price is currently because in India, you do not have bonds which trade very frequently, but in international markets, you have bonds which are traded just like shares. So in secondary market, let's say, for example, the senior notes are trading at a price of 75 versus a price actual price of 850. And the subordinated notes are trading at 25 instead of 250. So let's say a 95 or 90% discount. Now let's try and analyze the impact of what happens when you think the company is going to have a valuation of 4.5 times the EBITDA versus a higher range, let's say 5.5 times the EBITDA. And then we'll also try and bring some little more complexity by saying, okay, what if after going into insolvency, the company needs more debt? In the first case, we will assume it doesn't need any more debt other than 150. But in the second case, we will assume that it actually needs some more debt of 600. So let's say what happens. And we're talking about a lower valuation split. What we're saying is the EBITDA of the company is 250. And we've assumed that the company valuation is 4.5 times EBITDA. So the plan value or someone says, someone is proposing this plan for a distressed company, that the company is valued at $1.125 million, which is $1.125 billion. Now, how that $1.1 billion will be divided amongst the different creditors who have a stake in the company will then be de decided. So of course, as we said, a bank facility, a bank facility is always secured. A bank would not give you money, which is unsecured. 
that's against the rules of lending by a bank. So 150, and that was also post-petition, like you've got the money after going into distress. So they are secured creditors. They would have to be paid first. So when a company goes into insolvency, what happens is they try and reorganize their balance sheet, like, you know, reorganize the capital providers, debt and, debt and cap, uh, equity, and then they emerge as after restructuring. So it says the, the firm has been restructured. It emerges out of bankruptcy. Now, what it does during this process of going into bankruptcy and emerging out of bankruptcy in between, they try and reorganize their claims. Some part of the debt is written off. Some people do not get any money. They write off their, they write off their stakes. They have to record a loss. The other people get a portion of their money. Let's say I owed 1000, I was owed 1000 and I get only 700. So I write off 300. Some people actually get a part of it and the rest they get as equity. Some portion of debt is converted into equity. So basically at the end, what you have is a healthy balance sheet, which is, which has debt, which can be serviced by the cash flows of the company. So this is what happens after restructuring is finished. So let's say in this case, you had a plan value of 1125, which means the company is valued at $1,125 million, out of which on the balance sheet, 150 will stay as the bank debt. Now, you do not have any new senior debt, which is zero. So there is no other debt on the company after this. And the entire other portion can be then converted into equity. So equity will be 975 out of 1125. Now, how will that equity be allocated? So we, we understood that there were senior debt holders whose claim was 850. So they will be given equity, which is worth 850, which will now represent 87% of the equity. So initially the, the senior claim or the senior bond holders, which were also unsecured, were holding debt in the company. Now what they have after restructuring, they will hold zero debt, but 87% of the equity of the company. Similarly, the subordinated bondholders who are holding 250 of debt in the company will only get 125 of equity, which represents 13% of the equity of the company. So 850 com gets complete 850, but their debt converts into equity. But senior or the subordinated debt had 250, but the value that they could only get was 125 because that is the only remaining value. And they get equity worth 125, which represents 13% of the equity. And interestingly, the equity, the initial equity holders of the company, which were the management, the CEO, or whoever, so was the, the owners of the company are completely ousted from the company. They get zero equity. They lose all their stake. So this is interesting. If the company goes into distress, the largest losers are the equity holders because they are legally subordinated claims to everyone else, right? So in case if there was no senior debt, this is how the structure would be. The bank facility would stay on the balance sheet as 150 as a debt. The senior debt would become 87% equity holders. The subordinated note claims would become 13% equity holders and the initial equity holders will be wiped out completely. Now let's say look at a different plan. Wherein what we said was after the company went into restructuring, you would have 600 million of additional loan. So because it's a new loan, it is coming after the company has gone into bankruptcy and it is senior. So it will be, it will stay on the balance sheet as debt. So now you'll have 150 of bank facility and 600 of the other loan. So total 750 out of 1125 will be as a loan and the remaining would be equity, which now decreases from 975 to 375. So senior debt claim would now get, so let's say their 850 was converted to 600 debt. So now they have 250 of claim, entire 250 would still continue as equity. But now instead of 87%, they would only have 67% equity. The junior subordinated claim holders now get actually a little more equity 
they were getting 13% in the first case and they get 33% in the next case. So the junior subordinated claim holders would actually want or prefer a scenario, something like a low uh, or a moderate leverage because in the first case, they were only getting 13% equity while in the second now they're getting 33% equity, which is a little more than what they were getting at first. Yeah. So what the message here is, the allocation of equity is impacted by the debt assumption that you have in the company, right? So very, very small things that you assume in the valuation of a distressed business will lead to very massive differences in the equity allocation between different participants. If we have a low valuation and low leverage, the EV is 1125, the bank stays at 150, and the senior debt holders receive an equity of 87%, while 13% goes to subordinated equity. Similarly, if we have you know, moderate leverage, we have senior debt, which they receive 600 million of debt, while equity is then 67 and 33. Same valuation, but different allocation to equity based upon different assumptions of debt. Now, we did a 4.5 times EBITDA multiplication or devaluation. Let's see what happens at 5.5. The process stays the same. If we have a 5.5, what we see is a higher valuation means initial equity holders, which were getting 0% in the first case, are now getting 10% when the valuation or the uh, leverage is low. So if you see the equity recovery now is 125, which is 10% of the overall recovery. And if you actually increase the leverage, you make it a moderate leverage of 600 new senior debt, the equity recovery actually increases further to 20%. So you get 20% of the equity of the company. So depending upon how high, so the message here is, if the plan value is higher, more the money that the company still has, more the participants will get their money back. And more, more stakeholders, which were not getting anything initially, will start getting something back. Maybe not 100%, but something they will start getting back. Maybe not in terms of debt or in cash, but maybe in terms of equity. But they will still continue to be a stakeholder in the company. Earlier, the equity holders were completely wiped out. They had 0% claim. Now, at least they have 10% claim in low leverage and 20% claim in a moderate leverage. So allocation of equity, again, is impacted by the debt assumption. And the multiple that you're using is a little higher. Let's say 5.5. Okay, moving on. So again, similar, what we had here is, let's say the EV was in this case 1375, which was 5.5 times your EBITDA. The senior debt holders received 70% of the equity in low leverage, while subordinated received 20% and 10% was equity. The same change to 40, 40 and 20 in case of uh, moderate leverage, where the senior, senior also received a debt of 600 million. Suppose if we now, the plan is approved now, plan is approved at let's say 4.5 or 5.5 times EBITDA. But actually you come to know later on that true value of the company was not 4.5 times EBITDA, not 5.5 times EBITDA, but let's say it was six times EBITDA. The valuation of the company was higher than we initially had thought, which is completely possible because when you were presenting the plan, you were just doing some calculations and trying to understand the market. But let's say the company performed better and the value of the company comes out to be six times EBITDA. What will be the ideal or what will be the outcome for the junior lenders and senior lenders? And what is the ideal valuation that they look for? So this is exactly what we have discussed, nothing new here, but this is something new. So what if we actually had six times the EBITDA? So if you look at the second column here, now we have a six times of EBITDA, not 4.5 times. What we see is the senior note claim still have an equity of 87%, but their equity value now increases because the value of the equity has increased from 975 to 1350. How? Because the overall enterprise value, which was 4.5 times EBITDA, which was 1125, has now increased to 1500. So their claim has now increased to 1177. Their initial claim was only 850. 
they had only given 850 to this company but what they will receive will be 1177 a lot, lot higher than what they had initially given now this is a typical risk with equity because equity has you know unlimited upside unlimited downside if the company performs better a bank which had a loan of 150 will only get 150 right no one will say oh i have performed better let me give more money to the bank whatever more you generate goes to the equity so here your percent or the total recovery actually becomes 138 percent so you know in a distressed company where the equity holders were getting zero money you are getting 138 percent of your return so this is a very plausible case it is a perfectly normal case in distressed business and that is why distressed investing can give you you know, returns which are much higher than a lot of other traditional returns. And that is why this is more like an alternative investment, which has very high risk, but very high return. So, so it got 138%, while the subordinated note claim only got 69% of there, which is, of course, higher than 50%, which they were initially getting, but it is still not closer to what, let's say, you know, 100%. And equity, which was initially getting zero, still continues to get zero because the plan was finalized and equity holders were completely wiped out. So if the company performs well, equity holders will basically profit. So this is basically the crunch of whatever we were saying. If you have a low leverage and low valuation, your senior lenders will get 1.38 times back. Your junior lenders will get only 0.69 times back. But if you have a high leverage and low valuation, your senior lenders will get 1.29 times the money, but junior lenders will almost get their entire money back. If you continue doing it low leverage and high valuation, junior lenders also get more than their money. And high leverage, high valuation, everyone gets more money. So in the US, what actually happens? So if a company is in financial distress, and that's based upon actuals for the last, you know, let's say a 50, 60 year data, when a company goes into financial distress, 49% of the companies do not go under restructuring. They're able to recover without restructuring. They're able to, you know, just come out of it after getting distressed because maybe the market improves, maybe they do something internally. But 51% of the companies do undergo restructuring. Out of those companies which undergo restructuring, ha almost half and half, you know, either go through private workouts or go through the legal route of bankruptcy, which is also known as Chapter 11 in the US. It is very famous. I'm sure everyone would have heard of Chapter 11 at least once in their life. So what is private workout? Private workout is basically you merge with another firm, you get a new investor which will invest with before going to the court. So without going to the court, to get into a settlement or investment with the other company. Larger company might invest, might take over. But 53% of the companies go through the legal route of a legal uh, you know, proceedings, which is called you know, through the court's filing, where court has to rule. Now, of the companies which actually go through the legal bankruptcy or Chapter 11, 83% of the companies are able to reorganize, restructure, and emerge as out of the restructurings. Like they are able to become healthy, the balance sheets become healthy and they come out as normal companies and continue operating. 7% of the companies are sold to other companies, like they merge with the larger firm or whichever firms has money to put into the company. But uh, sadly, 10% of the companies are not able to do anything and they are liquidated, which is called chapter seven in the US. When we say liquidated, that means the company is then sold piecemeal, like the machinery is sold, the land is sold, what the, you know, whatever they have is sold, money is collected, whatever, and repaid to the lenders in order of the absolute priority rule. Okay. So this is what normally happens. 
in india of course we are very young we only had this law which came in the year 2016 so it's very fairly new four years old once we have more data we'll understand this kind of chart for india as well now we said that there is an absolute priority rule which basically means that secured creditors should get first and in full payout and only only then the unsecured creditors should pay should be paid and then only the equity holders should be paid but whenever you go to court normally things what we have seen is a little different the court wants to make everyone happy they want to you know hear everyone so they sometimes deviate from the absolute priority rule so where we expected the secured creditors to get a full payment what we see in reality they get a payout a full payout only 92% of the cases in 8% of the cases they do not get the full payout why because the courts say okay you take a little less than full but let's let the other parties who have given money to the company also receive some money back so unsecured creditors which they expect full payout after secured creditors in reality in 78% of the cases they do not get full payout right it can be also because the company doesn't have enough cash to pay the unsecured creditors also because you're taking away some money from unsecured and paying it to let's say equity holders because what the expectation is that equity should not have any payout but in reality in 81% of the cases they get some payout so this is a deviation from the apr that we see in the us market and this is also a deviation that we are seeing in the indian market in the early 3 4 years of the law we're already seeing these deviations well firstly sir thank you for that session i think that was a relatively new topic for at least me and i think for most of the people attending this session so it was very informative thank you so much sir and now everyone is free to disperse thank you bye bye have a good day ahead sir bye